This podcast is presented by Rabbi Peretz Muchkin, speaking to the millennial generation. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Rabbi Peretz podcast. Hope you had a wonderful Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur. This holiday season was really wonderful here in Venice. I'm really excited about all the new faces and all the people we met over the last year that joined us. My style for the high holidays is to bring as much spiritual narrative and relevance to the experience of sitting in a synagogue setting and going through services. And I think uh, it was spectacular seeing all the new faces and feeling excited about how it went. So I'm not patting myself on the back. I'm just excited about all the people who enjoyed and were able to have a good experience. I remember when I started doing this in San Francisco 14 years ago and no one showed up first year, second year, just a couple of people there. It was quite difficult to see that one day we could be surrounded by lots of like-minded people. So it was very exciting. And I have a lot of gratitude and appreciation for all the people that joined us in this wonderful space that we're in the middle of securing here in Venice Beach. One of the main themes of the high holidays is the word in Hebrew called teshuva. Now, teshuva is misunderstood in other religions and even in Judaism as repentance, like you have a sin and you got to be better. And it really isn't that at all. The reality is, is if you've wronged somebody, you got to make it up to them. No holiday is going to change that. You have to be a good person. Nothing's going to change that, that that's a hard journey. What these holidays and teshuva is about is essentially figuring out what your North Star is, really digging deep and figuring out what is it that makes me tick? What is it that drives me? If it's your body that drives you or is it the soul that drives you? And unfortunately, I hate to break to you, only one can do the job. You can't share that load. If you share the load that the body and soul are both taking turns doing it, well, then you're living sort of in a non-growth space. You're just trying to placate all sides of yourself, and it's very hard to really have steady growth within the individual self. If your body takes the lead, then you know it's about your survival, and it's about your consumption, and then it's about the desire of the surplus of what you have. Like Once you're surviving and once you're consuming, now it's about we have a surplus society. Where do I go from that? How do I enjoy that, that surplus? On the spiritual side, the drive is how do I fulfill my mission on earth? What am I here to accomplish? How do I discover? that. And then the surplus, if you find things that you're passionate about, the surplus is, wow, now I can broaden my reach, maximize my potential. So they really have two different sides. And the real key of teshuva is, is getting the body and soul to operate together by taking the soul lead, but investing in the body, taking on those values as well. That's really what it is, is learning how to have your body take on a more soulful value in the impact and in the journey and the narrative that you're going through on earth. This is an incredible kind of conversation that I love having with people because it always surprises them that I'm not asking them to become a religious Jew like me. I'm asking them to ask themselves, what type of Jew are they? Are their roots growing? Are their fruit growing? Are they simultaneously developing both a conscious foundation about who they are and a conscious reach of like how they plan on impacting the world around them? And we're lucky to live in this incredible opportunity of life where we have incredible abundance, especially as Jewish people. What are we doing with this great gift? These are the questions that we ask over Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur. So now that it's Yom Kippur's over, now what? What do we do with all this? And the answer is, is before you answer the question, 
you have to first ask, can I redo what I just did, Rosh Hashanah and Kippur, but from a space of joy? Can I immediately first put into practice this message? And you can. It's called Sukkot. Sukkot is where we sit outdoors and we think about life is temporary and everything is temporary. And what we have to do is also have joy. Without joy, the body is not coming along for the soul ride. It's just not coming along for it. It may You may schlep it along, but we're not looking for you to come along this ride kicking and screaming. We want your joy because within joy becomes a pleasant ability for people to interact. In other ways, it's just challenging. But in the positive side, when you do Rosh Hashanah Kippur from the joyful space and having wonderful meals together under the stars, pretty easy in sunny California, you can really do something spectacular. So with this mindset, we'll talk more about Sukkot maybe on next podcast. But for now, I wanted to bring in my friend, Hanan. Hanan was at some of my early Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippers in San Francisco where there were only a few people yeah. there. And people would say, man, only one or two people, that's all it takes. And guess what? Here he is still here. So maybe that is all it takes. Those four or five people that came to those first Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippers are still in my life and mm-hmm. still very close to me. Really super special. Yeah. So you are also... When I say thank you, Paladin Studios, that's you as well. That is Paladin me. is uh, your dad's uh, playa name. Yep. And you use that as your recording studio engineering uh, uh, alter ego. Indeed. I'm going with that. Exactly. That's the name of that. And you've been <laughs> behind the scenes, the engineer for our podcast, sounding so awesome. Yeah, we, so, uh, thank you. we, built, we put the studio together last year now. That's really awesome. Whole year of I'm his first official client regularly. <laughs> I don't pay his bills, but mm-hmm. I super much. I super enjoy yep. uh, the you. Spiritual uh, bills. Yeah. Well, you know, <laughs> whatever it takes. So, uh, welcome to the podcast. Thank great you to for have having you. Me. Yeah, it's yeah. really great to put you here. And yeah. since you originally go back with me to some of my early Rosh Hashanahs, is there any difference between those and the ones I did now? Give me some. Uh, give me some feedback. Hmm. Well. I think, um, I mean, it's certainly, it's certainly wild to see how much it's grown. Um, but you know, the growth, I mean, the growth has been pretty consistent, you know, for what's 15 years and 14, 15 years now. Right. Um, I remember that first one or one of the first ones in live worms, um, and it's funny cause like, I don't even, I remember like going into the room and there being a ton of chairs. And thinking like, whoa, he's really expecting a lot of people. <laughs> but I don't remember it just like just being me and my dad. Like I don't remember it that way. Like I remember the room feeling very full. My brother you know? was there too. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> we actually walked out in the middle of it to the nearby cafe and right. there was a minion of Jews right. at the cafe, right. but not with us. Right. But you know, it was a good learning experience. Yeah. I blew the shofar and a woman walked in with her daughter off right. the street right. and they became lifelong friends. Yeah, totally. So cool things yeah. happened that year. Right. And I became lifelong friends with you For and sure. your dad For sure. who passed on. But yeah. you know, a real uh, significant part of our San Francisco experience. Yeah, absolutely. So let me ask you like this. When I met you, you were a kid, grew up reform essentially yeah. uh, in San Francisco mentality, a very liberal society. Mm. And you know, and you met me and uh you started exploring your Jewish roots and my game is still the same, which sure. is stay who you are. Right. And as you are with your views, with your political outlook, with your socio-political outlook, sure. go with that. Like right. you have to be you, who you're born to be is who you're meant to be. Mm-hmm. And within that growth and within that mission, you'll find your soul and you'll find what you need to do as a Jew. Like I never right. wanted anybody to go, oh, the goal is to be like me or right. to be religious. Like I felt like that's not Shuva. I just started off the podcast with Shuva sure. is figuring out how to make your body and soul align. Mm-hmm. So 
based on where you're born and what you're born into, that's a large indicator of what type of journey you're going to have body and soul. Right. There are people who like saying like, oh, I'm born in this space, so I know I got to leave this space. There mm -hmm. are people who are born in their job is to make that space something special and to grow within that. And I'm always of the, I'm always the advocate of that you should go with what you are and try to enhance that and grow that because who you are is the grandest indicator of where you should be. So I started off with that with you guys. Remember clearly telling you and your For friends sure. that that's my goal with you. So what happened? Like what, what was that started that journey? Because spoiler alert, Hanan is a Chabad rabbi and music engineer right now. So that's a, yep. that's a lot different from a teenager, <laughs> you know, hanging right. out on the streets of SF. Right. Or sleeping on your floor. Yeah. Well, you know, <laughs> good times. Um, well, so as much as, you know, I think when you say growing up reform, it sort of paints a certain picture maybe um, of not being particularly involved. Um, my dad, as you know, was super into Judaism and my entire life was really into Judaism. And so as much as we, you know, I didn't really know anything other than reform, but I was always like, we're always really engaged. Like we went to, we went to synagogue most, most Shabbos mornings wow. and we'd like go to the beach afterwards, you know? Um, so, you know, I ended up sort of for a variety of reasons going to this Jewish high school that uh, I was not planning on going to, um, and didn't really know what to expect. Um, and I remember my freshman year, there was like a lot of growing pains around it because part of me was really interested to explore the Jewish aspect of it. And I was sort of forced to, because of the nature of the school, um, but I also didn't really know how to channel it. Um, and especially when you're 14, 15 years old, you know, you're very preoccupied by what other kids think of you and things like that. Um, and that was, a, that was something that was really special of, you know, going down that road with Arye was like, like we like had each other, at least I felt like we had each other's backs. And so. And when I met you, you had a really close friend, Arye, and you were both exploring like what your Jewish roots mean to you. Right. And in a way, you guys had very different backgrounds. Your commonality was San Francisco right. and trying out this technically new right. uh, Jewish style high school. Right. You know, like kosher um, deli style. Totally. Um, and, you know, I mean, he grew up a little more uh, involved than I did, um, but relatively we came from similar backgrounds. Um, and I think, I mean, from the get go, so I was like, you know, around my sophomore year, I was already sort of interested in it and learning about it and, and like engaged. Um, and that was when we met at the end of my sophomore year. Um, and I mean, there were a few things off the bat that really struck me in, in, in your dynamic and our dynamic, which was. There was, first of all, there aren't many people who take 15-year-olds seriously as adults, you know? Like, you didn't treat us like we were kids, which was a really unique thing for 15-year-olds who think they know everything, you know? <laughs> I mean, that's interesting feedback. I think at the time, I was like, I was willing to just take anyone serious who would take right. me serious. Sure. Like, just give give back what was coming right. to me. Right. Um, you know, it's not good business to do it for <laughs> young people because they can drive you mad. But for sure. I, I, as I'm sure we at, did. At the time, you know, I had the time and right. I thought what better way to use right. it than people being interested in sure. it. So, so that was like a big thing for me was, I think because I was also, I thought of myself as much more mature than I necessarily was, but so it felt reaffirming to be treated more like an adult. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
and then along with that, there was there was a tremendous premium placed on learning, which was really what I was like most interested in. Um, and you know, and especially like things relating to Mashiach, which you know, when when I first was exposed to Chabad, I thought like everybody was tripping on Mashiach the whole day, and now I realize that's not really the case. Um, and the fact that you were and are on that trip and we were on that trip, like really lined up, you know? Well, I just think that let's take us to the theme of today's, today's podcast, this concept of like aligning body and soul. You can't really align body and soul without a North star, a mission. And the body doesn't necessarily have the same mission the soul has. In fact, its mission is a little lighter. One of the reasons why I always feel like the soul is a definitive mission is because it's unique to your own self. Your body isn't always unique to your own self. You could have a mission for your body, but there are many people with that mission. So if you want to feel true uniqueness, which in a place like San Francisco or now in Venice, you know, people want to feel unique, then you got to find the soul mission because that's really where you'll find the truest, unique, uniquest form I don't know if uniquest is a word, but you know, it is now. now, A form. So I just felt like, to me, what is Judaism's mission? Let's start with that. Well, Judaism's mission ultimately is to affect the world in a positive way where people realize that from positivity, you can create. You don't need a negative problem to solve. You can have positive reinforcement that builds all of creativity. It's pretty lofty. It's called messianism and messianism has been lost to a figure, sure. uh, 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 you know, a, a religious, you know, forward leader. And even if that's the case, Mashiach society was what interested me the most. Like how does a society function on this? The leader is half the story. The main story is the people coming together. Sure. Dynamic leader can right. only take a cult so far, right. but the world to change doesn't just take a leader. It takes the people to buy into being on a mission, being here for a reason, living a life with meaning, letting right. that le- meaning permeate every part of your being. So for me, that's what I lived with and that's what I still live with. For sure. If I'm otherwise, what am I doing? Why am I doing this? 100%. I mean, you know, this is not there's yeah, no bust. This is it. This is that's like a world of meaning or bust. Right. That's essentially what yeah. it is. And I've just learned to make the words better right. and use better language to connect with people. And I found a crowd of young kids who wanted to have this type of dialogue. I thought, what a good place to start with kids who have no baggage with any of this stuff. Mm-hmm. They just want to sincerely hear right. depth. Right. So, and uh, and again, I wasn't looking to make religious Jews. Right. You can do whatever you want. You want right. to be religious, go for it. I wanted people to just be authentic Jews and like deeply rooted in who they are. Mm -hmm. And then the belief is if they do that, their soul will start telling them where to go and how to grow. But you went really quick, man. Um, Yeah. I I mean, I suppose, uh, you know, knowing other people and how they went, I think I went slower. Mm. Um, But I mean, I will tell you that I think the most impactful thing was that there was never any expectation of like religiosity, you know? Like you never put anything on me to be like you have to do this or you should do this or like don't do that or anything like it was all it was all totally good so it was like a really you know for lack of a better term it was a really safe space to explore in um because like i didn't feel like then there was any outside pressure it was like whatever i was connecting to and obviously you were like there was a encouragement to grow and discover and learn um much more and i think that was something in general that spoke to me because that's not something that i was really exposed to or getting otherwise um like not i don't think a lot of high school kids are really like 
push to, you know, think about bigger things and what their mission is and where they want their life to go. Um, so, but doing it in a pl- from a place of like, whatever you do is cool. And like, whatever is, you're doing is, is that awesome. what you think that worked the most, the safe space of like, no strings attached, your family knew where you were. They were happy with what was going on. There was no pressure involved. It was just, wow, a guy open to letting me come Shabbos and learn. Was that the key for you? I don't know if it was the key, but that was a big ingredient in like letting me, letting me sort of like go down that road. Um, it's, I don't, I'm not sure I could say what the key was. Like, it's sort of, it's sort of hard to explain because it also like, there was, it was, it all just, there was at no point that any of it ever feel unnatural, mm. you know? I think it's beautiful that it felt supremely personal that you weren't going on a generic experience to become religious right. that wasn't there. I was I was supremely skeptical of people who did that. Are you, you still know? skeptical? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, there's different roads to get to where you want to get to. Yeah, I'm generally skeptical of those people still. Well, when you follow a path, of becoming something you're going to end up struggling with did i follow my own genuine right. way of getting there right if you followed your own path and right. you just followed to what felt right and learned right. more and added more there's it's built right. within yourself the the inner north star to right. get to where you want to get to right there was i there was one year i think it was when i when i was in my note i was um i was asking myself that question a lot of like i felt like looking at where i'd come from i felt like it was no it do, it's not rocket surgery to like decide to keep Shabbos or put on tefillin or like it didn't feel like they were huge horrible terrible commitments that like really required that were like tremendously demanding and like required a lot of growth from me like I felt like at the end of the day like if the situation's right pretty much anybody could commit to that for a variety of reasons uh you know genuine or otherwise and so I think I was like 21 and I was, yeah, I must've been like 21. I was really asking myself like, like sort of reevaluating where the motivation came from and, and, and where the earnesty in it was, um, to sort of, to sort of take it to the next step. And, you know, cause it's also starting that deal at like 15, it was, it was a rather juvenile relationship with the whole system in some ways, you know, like you're still a kid. So as I became older and trying to own it more as an adult was a very different chapter in it, you know? How did it uh, change the relationship with your friends and, uh, and like your outlook in life? I mean, at a certain point, maybe you were growing gradually, but at a certain point, you know, here you are, right. you know, uh, right. you know, living in Israel right. or doing rabbinical studies. Yeah. You ever stop and wonder how you got there? Um, yeah, you know, I actually just had that experience uh, on Sunday. I was I went up to San Francisco for the weekend, and so on Sunday I was on Union Street getting coffee, and across the street I I saw a guy who I had gone to middle school with, um, and we did like Hebrew school together, like bar mitzvah classes together, and I mean I haven't spoke to him in years. I don't know anything about him or what he's up to or anything. Um, but it was just really no such, stalking on Instagram. No, no, I'm not even on Instagram. Oh wow. Um, but it was just really a trip to like see him from across, like him and his sister, like who I remember like carpooling to Hebrew school with, like seeing them from across the street and just tripping on like, 
I mean, this guy for sure doesn't recognize me because, like, you know, nobody recognizes me from back then. I mean, beards are <laughs> in, man. Beards are in, but that doesn't mean, like, you know. They recognize yeah. the beard. Um, but it was just really wild to be just, like, hanging out on this, on Union Street, on the street that I, like, grew up on, and just thinking, like, like how far I went and, like, what a different direction my life took from, like, what was expected from me in every facet of my of my childhood, you know? Like, there was, especially, like, the, the community I grew up around, um, like, it's all, like, you know, like, go to a top high school and then go to an Ivy League or, like, you know, something like that. Like, that was all the, the where the premium was placed. Where were you going to go to college? Um, so I was supposed to go to Northeastern um, after I w- did a year in Israel, and then I was supposed to go to Northeastern afterwards, um, though my father wasn't particularly into that. And then I got... Um, I don't know what the word is, tricked or, or convinced into applying to YU. Um, and my dad thought that was a tremendous idea. <laughs> <laughs> How did YU work out for you? Uh, did not work out Wasn't so well. Wasn't your style? No. no. I, did a, I did a year and then I bounced. To, to a yeshiva program? Yeah. yeah, I went back to Israel and went to yeshiva. I mean, you know, maybe... I'm always wondering, like, if I tell people, like, oh, yeah, there's a guy came to me and he became a full, quote, religious guy, they're going to think, oh, that's Peretz's goal is, right, to, right. is, to, is to make someone religious. Right. But at the same time, my goal is to, for people to really lead soul first. That's the belief. For sure. I was taught as a child and, and by the Chabad Rebbe and by Hasidic philosophy that the main thing is to get the soul on fire and let them take over. How would you speak for me and tell people that this is, this is really the deal? Like, how would you describe what this experience that you've had with me over these years and right. what it is. I'd right. love to hear from you. Well, I'm what actually, it is. I don't I'm actually, really, I don't have this great methodology, just I'm this actually, North Star. I'm actually kind of surprised that you're even having this conversation on your podcast. <laughs> I want to have it on the podcast. <laughs> I hear you. Um, uh, cause it's, 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 it's certainly not something like, like you were, I mean, in a lot of truth, you would always be like, he did his own deal. Like it wasn't because of me, you know? Yeah. Um, and I think that was definitely true, but you know, I think, I think, first of all, you gave a lot of encouragement, you know, like, like we were having a conversation the other night about like positive re- reinforcement, you know, just like whatever you're doing is awesome. So it, it never felt like there was any agenda of like, oh, you want to go to Yeshiva? Like, that's awesome. Like, you're going to go down this road. It was just like, oh, you're jazzed about something. Like, that's awesome. You know? Um, I'm not sure. I don't know if that answers That's good question. feedback. Just positive <laughs> reinforcement, yeah. you know? Like, yeah. uh, in other words, if you're expressing interest, I'll try to feed and add value to that interest. Right, right. You know, um, I grew up thinking that a person had to, you know, it was a big ideal to get people more involved, get people more involved. And then I realized that that's not how you get people involved, number right. one. Right. And number two, that's not sustainable. Sure. You're just, you're just, you're not, you're not giving value to everybody. You're, you're adding value to yourself and to your program. And if I really thought about what Shuva was, which I do all the time and I think about it, Shuva is not creating a movement of people following a certain program. Right. It's getting people to learn how to identify their soul and then make that soul the way to go through life right. instead of letting the body go through life. And yet, you know, on Yom Kippur, a big part of my 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 way of talking is instead of sermonizing, I just each prayer add another layer of soul to it. The five services connect the five layer of soul, like last podcast we spoke about. And the whole idea was was essentially that even after you peel away all the layers, it comes down to getting your body 
to adopt this methodology. Like in other words, it comes down to the action. Soul right. doesn't represent action. Action is physicality. Right. So if you're gonna have a physically charged, meaningful existence, it's gonna be getting that soul to just be the mission and the North Star and the vision, but then having the body being able to accompany that. Right. And it's gonna take on so many different views. Some people are gonna become super spiritual, mystical, sure. connected. Some people are gonna become rigorously into religion. And some people are just gonna constantly look for doing charitable acts and doing, but sure. it's going to affect the way you act in this world. It's going right. to affect that. And it's amazing to me. I feel super lucky that you guys came year one. Number two, five years in. I don't know if I would have the patience for you. <laughs> oh, yeah, but for sure. But your whole class just basically <laughs> totally. came and hung out. Yeah. But more than that, it was also, not only I got to do it, I got to see how this methodology affected everyone differently. Mm -hmm. Everybody took it a little different right. way. Right. Like your whole class, like sort of everybody reacted a little differently to for this. Sure. And it was mind boggling to me. Right. Now on an adult level, it's harder. There's more distractions for adults than they have. So it's hard to like right. change your ways and- and uh and but i don't think i'm advocating for changing your ways i'm sure. advocating for enhancing your ways right. and for doing a better job at what you believe in right. and being more accountable to your values right. essentially right so that that is still very much alive and kicking and very right. much what this still means to me today right so i can't even say a lot has changed for me about this a lot it's just it's just developed into more comfortable I'm, I'm more comfortable in doing this where I'm allowing people to be who they are and grow within right. that. I have no, it's it's much easier now for me to have no expectations. Right. Because I wasn't sure what to expect with you guys. Sure. But seeing the beautiful results on such an array of levels, it's like um, I feel more comfortable doing this without any expectations. Right. So my people tell me it's not a good business model because <laughs> it's hard to capitalize when you're not, don't have expectations. So, um, you know. What would you uh, What would you do? You You spent a year doing this in Dallas, Texas. Two years, two years in Dallas, yeah. Texas. Uh, what did you take from this? How did you apply it? Um. So I mean, I definitely I remember going out there. It was a lot of I was asking myself a lot, like, how did you affect me, and and what did I respond positively from? Um, and you know, there were a few things that I realized. One of the things that you mentioned was I think it's really. There is no system because it's really person-to-person -person based, you know? Like what I responded to was not what my friends responded to and what they, not me, you know? Um, but there was, I think the, the thing that has possibly changed in your message is, and this could also be just the nature of dealing with teenagers, was there was... I think there was, there was a lot more like, um, at least from what I can tell, and I don't, I suppose I don't really know, but there was more of a focus on like, you gotta, like there was more of a focus on cultivating menschlichkeit. Like that, I feel like that was something think, that you. I think those two things are like creating a safe space and meeting people on their level. Right. Versus versus preaching right. versus saying this is how i operate these are my rules right. so yeah the right thing is to be a mensch right a premium concept right but you know like i was i was on a different podcast um and i told the story about one excuse of me <laughs> <laughs> i didn't plug it oh okay <laughs> you could plug it okay continue um i told the story about uh i mean i I, it was pretty early on in meeting you where like, cause I like the way, at least I remember it, I think you were starting to sort of get a feel of like how I grew up and like, you know, making sure we're Jewish and stuff or I'm Jewish. Um, and you were asking me about like 
my relationship with my parents. And at the time I wasn't speaking to my dad and you said something to the effect of like, screw that. Um, uh, it was a, a little more colorful. Well, I, you know, but I can't say, I can't say I was searching for your Jewish identity as much as I was searching for your identity. Right. Yeah. Right. I'm, I'm not checking people. Are you Jewish or not? As much as I'm checking, who are you? Right. Like what level are you at? Otherwise I can't add any value. For sure. And when I met teenagers yeah. and, and a couple of teenagers are like, yeah, I don't talk to my parents or right. I don't get along with them. And I'm like, if you can't give it a shot now, right. by the way, I, it's not easy to get along with family all the time. Sure. But if you can't, as a teenager, right. try to overcome some of those obstacles right. or at least acknowledge that it's more from you than it is from them, right. then it's not going to get better from there. Right. But, you know, I don't think... I, so it was very... So first of all, hearing a rabbi speak colorfully was um, was uh, made a profound impression on me at, at 15 or 16. Like, I think it, it sort of drove home its importance, like... Oh, like he's talking that way. Like he must be serious, you know. Um, but it—I mean, it, it really did have an effect on me. And and I mean, we've spoken before that I'm not really sure I would have built, rebuilt a relationship with my dad the way I did had it not been for you and and you know what you were doing and and the environment that you built. Well, my my great grandfather, my namesake, Peretz Munchkin. They attribute a song to him in Yiddish, and the song says, "Throw away your lineage, just be a mensch." <laughs> and uh, and there's a reason why they attribute it to him because the premium wasn't, "Oh, I'm this person, I come from there, I have this or I have that." Throughout your status, mm. are you a mensch? Right. And I always found it hilarious that in English, a mensch just means be a human. Right. But in English, human means less <laughs> than uh, than than human, uh -huh. and a mensch means more than human. Right. And I think that's the most important step is that if you could meet a rabbi and he's a mensch, and I can't say I'm a perfect mensch to say the least. Right. There are there are people out there who don't love my mensch. Sure. But you know, it's certainly a north star for me, right. for my body that I need sure. to be a mensch. And sure. to be a mensch means you have to look at yourself first right. before you look at somebody right. else. So here you were looking at like that. And it's a miracle that I had the guts to say that to you, even though you could have been like, oh, this guy's rude. Sure. Who, both rabbi talks like right. that. And then you would leave. Right. But the better thing happened, and that was you sure. and your dad repaired your relationship. Yeah. Your dad became a mainstay in our community and a beautiful part of my life. And uh, even though he passed away and it's a supreme loss, it's better to have a loss than to be like, I barely knew the guy, sure. whatever. For what sure. am I going to do? This is right. like I mean, a deep relationship. I mean, I remember when, I mean, I sat Shiva in your Chabad house on yeah. Lombard Street and I remember we were talking once about like, and you just said something like, think about what would have happened like if, if, if you never repaired that relationship and like, and, and Judaism is a huge part of that. Like, what, what, I would have like gone off to college and then like done whatever I did and, and like could, you know, he didn't have a relationship with his father. And I thought it was very special this year on Yom Kippur, you sharing that with the community. Yeah. yeah it's because you led Yisker service. Yeah. You don't have a dad. You led the Yisker service for me because I'm outside. Right. Because I have both my parents, thank God. So it's like in, in its own way, it's just, um, it's very special to put that all together and yeah. uh, to see that happen. And uh, I'm extremely proud of our relationship. <laughs> I think it's very special. Yeah, and me it too. speaks to a lot of like, uh, sensibilities of Judaism, of being a mensch and letting people grow at their own pace and the yeah. friends that you have and you're still connected to a lot of your friends. Right. Even though you've, let's say, grown religiously, you still connected to your classmates and to your friends and to right. your family. And that means a lot to me that you didn't have to sacrifice your mensch right. to be the person you wanted to become. Right. I would think that's the right way to encapsulate yeah. it. Right, and I think that's one of the things that like, that, that, 
that always made me feel safe, I suppose, about or like helped me continue down that that journey was like it didn't feel like I had like it didn't feel like at any point there was like, a, oh, you have to like leave San Francisco or you have to like like cut off ties with certain people or like you can't you shouldn't be hanging out with those people or anything like that. Like which, you know, f I was going to say for better or for worse, but I don't think it's for better. There are rabbis who are preaching that stuff. You know, yeah, I'm I'm not super tight right. with the, I hear you. With, with I the hear whole rabbi. Right, community. I mean, the fact I'm, of the matter I'm is, you're over. like the anti-rabbi. You know, well, I I never really wanted to be a rabbi. Right. I just wanted to add value. Right. And in my community, I was given so much on the religious side and on the depth and on the spirituality and on the mysticism that I was like, I'm just going to take all this and put it on the side and go into business. For me personally, that just felt like an unnatural space. Like I had to operate within the space where I can add the most value and I could use my my uh, my doctorate, let's say, of, <laughs> of life to to, right. to do it in the right way. And you know, I I can't say uh, I can't say how that it was easy or hard. It was just it felt like the right thing to do. It still feels like the right thing to do. And the more people that are here and are encouraged by this going on, it feels like it continuously is part of this beautiful journey of life. So I'm lucky to do it and to, and lucky to live the life that I live and lucky to have people like you around. So tell me something that uh, you learned, let's say. I want you to share some of your wisdom. You're mm. also a rabbi. You uh, you know, you had to sit and listen to me a whole service. You know, well, I was you, trying not to listen. Ah, you know, well, thank you. <laughs> wow, really beautiful mensch <laughs> not, right there. Not because of what we you were saying. We still have mensch work to do, I, I guess, you. both of us. No, listen, so, it's so an give give important job, you know, you know, being the representative of the community. I had to stay focused, you know? Yeah, so you decided to become a music engineer. Yes. And when you became a music engineer, you were like, you felt conflicted, you told me, because mm -hmm. like you were thinking to be a rabbi and here you are becoming a music engineer. Right. And I said, well, fuse the two, right. find a way to fuse it. Right. So tell me about that journey. Where are you holding there? How's it going? What's um, the work like? How, does it, how is it to be a Hasidic Jew doing music engineering for anyone, essentially? It's sure. your job. Tell um, me a little bit about it. It's, it's, uh, it's been a fascinating journey. Um, it started a little over two years ago now. Um, after I left Dallas, I moved to New York, um, and I spent some time working in a Chabad house over there, and for various reasons, it didn't pan out. Um, uh, but then, and then I actually went home, I went back to San Francisco for a while and was helping you out for, what ended up being like six months, I think. Um, and then when I got back to New York, I, I found myself for a while just sort of, uh, you know, working jobs that didn't really have any trajectory because my plan was always to sort of figure out a way to start doing the rabbi thing again. Right. Um, because that's really what I've felt called to do for, you know, a long time now. Yeah. Um, so how'd you get your first music job, your first music engineering job? So I started, um, I guess around three years ago, I started a project called Nigan Society. Mm. Um, which there is a, the, the Nichoach, which is a corpus of Chabad Nagunim and a, a set of recordings that was done in the late fifties, early sixties, um, is really a gem of, a uh, catalog. Um, but acidic music. Yeah. But, uh, for certain reasons is not particularly in vogue in the Jewish community. Um, and some of that has to do with the fact that it wasn't recorded terribly well to begin with. Um, and, People, religious Jews don't necessarily have the, uh, the, uh, the, the, the taste to recognize the, 
the 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 coolness of vintage records yeah um you're saying like me yeah well no you were i mean i was exposed to it because when you had the chabadas on lombard street we or no even even the basement um on pacific played lots of records we got a record player and you started buying every record on ebay yeah (laughs) they were undervalued man yeah yeah and we had the organ and the drum set and i would just sit in there you gave me a pair of keys and i used to just hang out there all night listening to those records well, so you got into re-engineering, re- recomposing. Right. So we tried to. So together. we tried to redo them. We started with a single, and um, I had some connections with musicians and a studio in Texas from my time there. Um, and so I was working with another guy who's a singer, and we went out there and we rearranged um, one of the songs, and went out there and tracked it, um, and did like a single. And the plan was to sort of use that as a tool to fundraise for the rest of the album. Um, and we raised some money and we went back that summer and did a whole record. Um, and it was in this really amazing um, analog studio out in like the backwoods of Texas. Oh, it's like a really crazy cool. place. Um, and from the moment we did the single, I was just totally fascinated with everything on the engineering production side. So when we went in to do the record uh, four or five, six months later, um, we had an engineer there. And literally the first day I was like, just show me how to do all of this stuff. And he was a, he's a guy who's like really into nerding out with somebody, like if somebody's into that. So we were up till like four in the morning every night, like messing around with all the toys and all this like primo analog gear, you know. Um, and, and it was basically like a month-long paid internship that I was in the studio, like learning all the, all the, you know, the back end of how to record analog and, and how to record. Um, and yeah, you were learning um, from some really strong people. Yeah. Um, so then I, uh, um, think we can uh, maybe attach like a part or half yeah, or a song. Yeah, we could we could link up we could link up one of some of your work. Yeah. Okay, cool. That would be awesome. Um, stay tuned. Stay tuned. <laughs> <laughs> um so then I came back after that project um and really decided it just I I sort of I think I was I don't know, I was, you know, starting to get a little older and starting to starting to realize that that the plan I had for going on Schluchus might not pan out the way I wanted to. And to hold on to that wasn't a uh, wasn't responsible, um, and it was. I think it was sort of. I was telling you, you gotta you gotta start something, a passion, right. a career, right. something that that not only keeps you busy and brings in some money, but that right. uses your skills. Right. My my next degree of being a mensch is if you're not sure what to do, see what skills you have and right. try to use them and right. develop them. Right. So I think you even like had me write like a list of things that I wanted to do. Well, um, I knew you had a lot of music skills right. because we had listened to a lot of music. We yeah. had played music together, right. Right. and I was inferior to right. you, so I knew right away. Well, mariachis, right? We 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 once performed. Maybe we should link that. Uh, I don't think so. <laughs> we, we performed a few songs at a perm party, right? Yep. Our band, our yep. short-lived band, yep. special times. Mashiach's mariachis. Yeah, we were called Mashiach's mariachis. Yeah. fantastic. Great band. Um, it was a great band. Yeah, good times. We were, we were really tight. Uh, yeah, good memories. But in reality. <laughs> Like you, you found this passion, you found it. So now I want to ask you, how do you like blend who you are now that you've done this for a couple of years? You're now 
somewhat making a living yeah. and, and starting to build your 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 catalog mm-hmm. and who you are and you're right. getting better and better at it mm-hmm. and now you're in this beautiful studio right? yeah i just moved i got a new studio on uh, broadway and wall street amazing it's really it's it's uh it was like totally spectacular just, it was just a gift from above the whole thing just fell into my yeah, lap so your engineering is growing your talents yeah. are growing so yeah. how do you how do you envision like who you are as a person and your spiritual growth how does it fit with this career that you're on and what you're and what you're doing? So, you know, um, we had a conversation when I first got started because I felt like a lot of the people that I knew in the industry um, weren't uh, necessarily the most, uh, fu- the fullest of integrity. Mm. Um, and it was really hard for me to, to, to find a way that I was going to be doing this and still staying true to who I am and what I care about. Um, and, and really for me, it's been, it's been just sort of, you know, finding a way that, that like I've, the way I see it right now, which is not necessarily the way it's going to stay, but sort of what's been going on in my head right now is that there's sort of, there's, there's projects that I approach. And part of the reason why I've gotten into podcasts is because they're not super demanding um like i don't really when you work with a band or a musician like like i did this girl's record for 11 months and it was like around the clock it was like really demanding and it's hard to it's hard to do that when it's not necessarily music that you that you really believe in or or feel like resonates with you it's a job right um uh so but I think what you're saying is that even to that you bring a sense of integrity to it that for sure. i can like live up to the expectations I'm not going to give her a second rate. I'm going to put myself into it. Yeah, hundred percent. But it's also like I'm more, I'm more uh, cautious now about what projects I take on, Um, and and so that's one of the reasons why I've been into podcasts is because they don't. There's not that same. Like musicians have a very unique disposition of like because they feel this is such an expression of their soul and their being. They really want to throw themselves into it. And they really want somebody who's producing it or engineering it to come with that same attitude and, and approach. So your integrity is that you just can't do it for everyone. You can right. do it for some people, right. but right. All right, listen, I think it's an honest approach because right. you're certainly allowing you want to give your best to each right. project. So right. that's certainly good that if somebody's gonna pay you and you're gonna spend the time on it, right. it's gonna be aligned. But I just wanna advise you a little bit here on the podcast that I think it's okay to take jobs that pay well. And then learn to like, hey, this may not be what I want it to be, but I can't help this person. Sure. Because after all, part of your job is to help a person put their best effort and their best self out there. Right. And that requires you to give yourself over to somebody. And it's not always going to be what you are, but it could be how you can help somebody be right. that. And that is connected to what right. you are. That is and, aligned with who right. you are. And, and, you know, and, and I'm not saying that, you know, I work specifically. I want you to make a living. Totally. <laughs> um and I'm not saying that I specifically only work with Jewish projects. Um, right. uh, in some right, ways, that album you did for that woman, right, aforementioned woman, was not a Jewish project. She was not Jewish. It was not not in any way Jewish. Um, but she was happy. You were happy. Yeah. So that was sure. a beautiful thing. But um, right. So there's, uh, and in fact, well, whatever. Um, but uh, <laughs> but um, it's the day after Yom Kippur. There's only so many bad things you can say. About no, no, people. <laughs> no bad things to say. I don't know what you're talking about. You, um, know, you learned. It was a great learning yeah. experience. No, not about her. I was gonna whatever. Um, <laughs> but um, but uh, I, I, to me, what I look for now and like, so the podcast. I really like tried to get the podcast deal going because 
it 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 helps just sort of like pay the bills and how and, many different podcasts are you working on right um now? right now i have about four um uh yeah four going on right now there's another one that's supposed to get off the ground once i get back to new york nice yeah um, I, I mean i i believe that people putting out podcasts are putting out their voice this is a right. new way of sharing experience and teaching and learning right and collaborating so i think it's a great thing for people to be able to send you their audio and you right. to clean it up and make it beautiful and add you know the right tempo to it right so what's cool is that um as i do more of them i've, I've been getting into more of a production role on them um, which sort of feels like I call on my previous rabbi rabbi experience a little bit, and like people want some guidance in 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 how to go about it and and how to figure out what their what their mission and what their goal is of the podcast, and sort of helping that develop and 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 gel. Um, but uh, oh, I was just gonna say that that the music projects that I look for now that it sort of freed me up to be a little more particular is is I, I i'm it's not jewish or not jewish it's just it's just looking for things that are sincere mm. because because that's really what you know i think that's in music whatever type of music it is that's what resonates and that's that's what gets me excited about records that's why i like Nichach so much that's why so now, I like, so now you're like a rabbi to engineering right so what type of advice would you give somebody if somebody came to you and said i have these songs or i have this podcast i have this project how would you like guide them to like make the best podcast or the best music like how would you so with be of a value so with music outside of just the engineering part so with music um usually what i start off doing with with people who want to come in is is i usually just try to spend a couple hours with them just like listening to records that they're into um and sort of see where they're coming from and who their influences are and then trying to sort of to sort of broaden that and ha and turn that into a conversation and really get them thinking because because to me, like what's what's powerful about music is that it's and art in general is that it's it's a conversation and you're working with inner tradition. Mm. So so especially in I feel like a lot of kids my age or people in this generation, um, a lot of because of how recording has changed where you can do a lot of it in your bedroom, people think that they're just sort of like they're adding this new voice to the conversation and they're not really concerned about what's come before them um and that i find to be a That's really some real rabbi stuff yeah so i find it to be a really positive experience to just spend a few hours talking about like what are you into like who did those people listen to like let's listen to some other records like let's 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 get a fuller picture of like where we're operating within the within the body of you know pop or rock or hip-hop or whatever That's beautiful yeah and you're able to then help them see that they are maybe a progressive voice, but they are connected to something. Right. And then, but you also get a deep knowledge of their style. And right. It, work it, with it also, it How also, about with podcasts? So podcasts, podcasts has been more, I don't know if it's been more difficult, but it's been, it's been, uh, it's been a little more challenging, I suppose. And just uh, sort of trying to, because so everybody wants to start a podcast. They like, want to. Everybody wants to start one. Very few people actually start a podcast. Nah. So I have a lot of... Uh, I, I spent two years saying I right, would until right. I finally did it was a right. whole other story. So I have a lot of superficial conversations about people who have ideas for podcasts. Um, and I used to find those more frustrating because I was like, that's really cool. Like, let's start it, you know? And like, 
and I would get jazzed about certain ideas, and then nobody would ever do anything well, about it. Well, my observation is that usually when somebody approaches you with music, they already have a song or an idea that they're already working on. With right. podcasts, they haven't worked on anything right. yet. That's right. what you're saying. When right. they approach you, they're like, oh, I want to do a podcast. You're like, well, right. just record and let's see what we have. Right. And so, then we can so that's the first thing always I always re-record. push. Right. So that's the first thing I always push people to do is like, let's just bang four of them out because it's not going to cost you a whole lot of money. You'll get more comfortable with it. You'll start to figure out what your style is and you'll start to see where you want to go with it. Um, and obviously each person has a format that they're trying to figure out. Um, one of the things that I've, based on one of the podcasts I did, um, I spent some time just going through different interviewers and their styles um, I, and, and looked at some like really big interviewers and, and how they do it. Um, guys like, you know, Dick Cavett and, and, uh, Terry Gross, um, Howard Stern has a very interesting style and it's the same idea of contextualizing it and figuring out, you know, where you want to do it. But there's also with a podcast, you also, you have a message, like you're trying, you have certain people on the podcast because you're trying to share certain ideas and get certain places, like, like a Seinfeld type of idea of a podcast of just like, let's sit around and talk about nothing is not really, I mean, there's a place for it obviously, but that's not what most people are trying to do. So a lot of it is, is, and especially in trying to bang three or four out just to sort of see where it goes, is just trying to help people cultivate this idea of like, okay, I have a podcast about this. Like, this is what I care about. This is what I want to talk about. And, you know, it's hard because people start it without an audience identified or without, without really a goal in mind of, of what they want to talk about or where they want to get to. And, and and so if nothing else, I'm really just like a sounding board for, for people to start to figure that out. Yeah, well, a couple of years ago when we got into this, um, we were talking about this and I said, listen, my goal is to essentially show people what I'm teaching because I'm not getting people to classes as much. I'm right. in a new place. People don't know me. They're not really coming yet. So they should be able to hear my voice, hear if they like my teaching style. And then my second goal was to expose some of the conversations I was having in private and bringing right. them out there so people can see what type of conversations I'm having with people right. and sort of build on that and learn to be comfortable right. to have those in public so people can hear what's going on. So the message was both the classes and the conversations. And I've been trying to do both of those. Right. Cause you have sort of, a, so tell me, how would you rate what I'm doing so far? So I think it's, I think you're, I think you're, you're, you're really starting to step into to the goal. Cause like, to me, yes. the second part is really, is the, is the main, like if you wanted to just share, you know, class material or stuff like that, you could also just like, tweet it or you know there's a bunch of different ways to do it um so you like the interviews you like the right i private think conversation right i happening. think that's a lot more telling because because first of all as we've talked about like your deal is not necessarily uh, religious focused i think the like and there's a lot of preconceived notions around chabad rabbi and one of them is that like the that the goal is judaism and there's not really concern about growth in other areas. And I think your conversations are much more about like, how do you, how do I meet somebody where they're at and like help them infuse whatever they're doing with Judaism, right? Yeah, the, the greatest, greatest thing for me is when somebody says my Judaism helped my life. Right. Not like saved me or such or, or made me a religious person. It's like, no, I like now can add value and meaning right. to what I'm already passionate about and really showcase that my talents and who I am is what right. 
essentially God wants from me. And that's and that's a much more unique message, you know, and that's something that does as much as like your class material also deserves to be shared, but like that's something that that really the world ought to hear because it's not something you come across particularly often. Well, I appreciate that and I appreciate you doing what you're doing the way you're doing it because I really do think that that's where you can add the most value. Take your learning experiences, your growth experiences and now adding it to what you're doing and you realize that you can both inspire people, help people and get people just by adding all of this knowledge into your job and then I think simultaneously you will make a good living doing this. Oh man. Just because simply put, you know, when you do what you're passionate about and doing it well, then your 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 thought is how to do it great. Right. And when you end up doing something great, the rest comes yeah, with that. For I sure. Think, I think uh, doing something really well. So uh, this is all predicated on you having the talent. <laughs> and I'm totally into you having the talent. You now have the studio yep. to bang it out properly. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I'm excited to, to see what song you attach to the podcast yeah. over here. So thank you for telling us a little bit. And so go out there, start a podcast, make a song, send yeah. it to Paladin to plug yourself. Um, so we are in the process of building a website at Paladin. Know. Plug you for now. How do we get you right now? Um, you can find me, I guess, on Facebook. We are officially on Instagram. Uh, email. Email. Um, uh, what is it? It's uh, paladinstudios at gmail.com. Cool. Um, uh, we are on Instagram. I think it's paladinstudiosnyc. By the way, why Paladin? Uh, so my dad's name, my dad's I did mention burner name, name was right? was, uh, Paladin. was Paladin. Um, uh, it was a uh, it was a TV show in the fifties called Half Gun Will Travel, and the main character was this he's sort of an antihero, and his name was Paladin. Uh, and there's a great scene where he saves his Jewish family, and yeah, and the and the lady says uh, the lady says to him, "Your name in our language means uh, wondrous judgment, Paladin." Wow, yeah. that's pretty cool. Yeah, <laughs> I love that. Um, so your your website will be paladin.nyc. It should NYC. be up this week. Great, and we're Paladin Studios at Gmail. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you, Hanan. Wonderful to have you on here, uh, and I appreciate you sharing a lot of this. It's really beautiful. Sure. We now have a podcast that talks about your journey, Shuva, and of course how to start your own podcast, totally. how to get into the zone. <laughs> so loving it. And, uh, Send me some feedback on Apple and rate us. Otherwise, send me an email at word at rabbiparrots.com for anything you'd like to hear or discuss. And uh, stay tuned for the Nigun Society. Essentially, Nigun means music or Nigun means song of the soul, a melody of the soul. And uh, I hope you enjoy it. Thanks for tuning in. Mm -hmm.